You are Locked On Broncos, your daily podcast on the Denver Broncos, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. This one's for Pat. The ball is free. Denver's got a touchdown, Denver. Here's your host of Locked On Broncos, NFL analyst Cody Rourke. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Locked On Broncos. This is your host, Cody Rourke, columnist over at PredominantlyOrange.com, where you can check out the latest news, analysis, and updates of all things Denver Broncos. Head over to PredominantlyOrange.com right now, as well as an NFL analyst covering the National Football League and the Denver Broncos. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Cody Rourke NFL. On today's edition of Locked On Broncos, I'll be joined by Zach Goodall, host of Locked On Jaguar over there for the Locked On Podcast Network. We're going to talk a lot today about the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars offseason additions and more so the additions that they made in the offseason that make them a contender to compete once again in the AFC playoffs and uh, you know where they necessarily got better and maybe even talking about the Denver Broncos versus Jacksonville Jaguars debate a little bit. A lot of people are debating whether or not the Denver Broncos 2015 defense or the 2017 Jaguars defense is better. Which one is better? Which one is the one that's going to be remembered? Well, I think, you know, the answer to that question is the Denver Broncos in 2015 absolutely dominated the playoffs. Von Miller went on a rampage on, you know, first off with Phillip Rivers in week 17. And then you had the Pittsburgh Steelers in the divisional round, Ben Roethlisberger dismantling him, going on to dismantle Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game. And then the absolute destruction of Cam. Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers in Super Bowl 50 where Von Miller got to Cam Newton two and a half times, forced two fumbles, and was a major catalyst in why they won. Obviously, that's why he won Super Bowl MVP, but the Denver Broncos 2015 defense went on a historical tear. Now, I'm not trying to minimize anything the Jacksonville Jaguars defense did last year. Looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars defense 2017, they're very dominant, forced a lot of turnovers, reminded me a lot of the Denver Broncos, had a good pass rush defense and the thing is they just didn't beat Tom Brady in the AFC championship game they obviously beat Ben Roethlisberger in a shootout game they held on in that one but the first game that they played they beat Tyrod Taylor Nathan Peterman I you know I, I that it is what it is but I think the Denver Broncos 2015 defense is the prime candidate to win this entire debate because when you go back and you look at it they are the ones that have a Super Bowl ring now I think the Jacksonville Jaguars defense has absolutely loaded up their defense defense or defensive line. Their secondary is very, very good. They have a lot of talented defensive players. They've improved the offensive side of the ball this offseason at the guard position and at tight end, giving Blake Bortles some more weapons and obviously Leonard Fournette some more consistency to be able to run in between tackles and have more success in the run game. They had a lot of success in the run game, but more so they were hindered by guard play. And Zach talk, touches base about this in today's episode of Locked on Broncos, Locked on Jaguars crossover show. But, you know, primarily, you know, he asked a lot of questions on what we have for the Broncos heading into training camp. The offseason additions, what fell apart between Case Keenum and, you know, the Minnesota Vikings compared to Kirk Cousins and the Denver Broncos, who, you know, they were rumored to heavily pursue him. He had a lot of questions about the Broncos, how they got to where they were with Case Keenum, the additions of Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, Royce Freeman, and the NFL draft. They talked a lot about that here in today's episode of Locked On Broncos, and I look forward to bringing you that interview here in just a few moments. But before we get to that, 
Let's talk about sex. Yeah, that's right. I said it. Listen up. Now, you can increase your performance and you can get the extra confidence in the bedroom. Now, BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable tablet with the same active ingredients found in Viagra and Cialis so you know that they work. Now, you can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, Blue Chew is prescribed online and it ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no uncomfortable waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships directly to your front door, they are cheaper than a pharmacy. So right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners of Locked On Broncos. You can visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment of Blue Chew free when you use the special promo code Locked On. All you do is pay five dollars of shipping. Again, that's Blue B L U E chew.com promo code locked on to try it free blue chew is the better cheaper faster choice and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast now let's get to our interview with zach goodall of locked on jaguars Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a Locked On Broncos, Locked On Jaguars crossover show. I'm joined by Locked On Jaguars host, Zach Goodall. He joins me here to talk about the AFC and the state of it with the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Denver Broncos. And so we're going to engage in some back and forth here about both of the prospective teams as they gear into 2018. Zach, thanks for joining me here today, man. Glad to have you on. Really excited to be here, uh, ready to talk about one of my, um, well, obviously my favorite team and another team that I've always respected, a team that I think Jacksonville has kind of built upon in years past and how Denver had that incredibly elite top tier defense a couple years back. I think Jacksonville's really tried to build upon what they had. So it's really cool to kind of compare models. Absolutely. You know, I think when a lot of people look at the two teams, you know, I think the Denver Broncos copied the model of the Seattle Seahawks after they dismantled the Broncos high powered offense in Super Bowl 48. John Elway went in and thought, man, you know what? In order for us to be successful to win a world championship, we have to have a championship caliber defense. And so he went to he went to work in that offseason, bringing in T.J. Ward, Aqib Tlaib uh, and Demarcus Ware. And from that point on, the Denver Broncos, it took them a year to get it. But in 2015, it all came together and we saw that championship formula defense you know domination forcing turnovers and I believe the Jacksonville Jaguars saw that as well and you know on paper for the last couple of years the Jacksonville Jaguars to me have been building up to become that consistent piece in the AFC by adding these strong defensive moves and when I look at the Jacksonville Jaguars defense on paper for the last two years They've had the best roster on paper in terms of defensive talent and defensive depth, and, and that's exciting, and they're continuing to build on that. So I figured a lot of what today we could talk about is what our teams are doing to build on those strengths, and obviously looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars offseason, they've had some key additions. They've obviously brought in some people to bolster the offense a little bit to help out Blake Bortles. Obviously, the the release of veteran tight end Mercedes Lewis led to the signing of Austin Safarian Jenkins. That's a big move for them, obviously bringing back Mark 
Marquise Lee as a wide receiver. What are you hearing or what are you seeing from the Jacksonville Jaguars that, you know, I, I think heading into 2018 will prime their offense to be more consistent than they were in 2017, especially when they get into the playoff atmosphere, you know, going on the road and, and playing Tom Brady, for example. What are they doing right now to ensure that the next time this thing possibly happens, that they're ready and they have the pieces to do so? I think they're really trying to stick to their gun. Um, last year they came in, the organization had some shifts. They brought in Doug Marone as head coach, replacing Gus Bradley. They brought back Tom Coughlin into a front office role. And from day one, they made it clear that they wanted to be a power running team. Uh, there was a lot of speculation as to whether or not Blake Bortles would be um, replaced last offseason, this offseason. The running joke around here was that Doug Marone came out and said last offseason in an ideal world, he would want Blake throwing the ball zero times per game. Everyone took that as an indictment of Blake, but it really became clear that it was more of a no, we literally want to run the ball every single play that we can. And they did well. Um, Leonard Fournette has gotten some up and down reviews across the league. I personally value his game a lot more than the average person does. When you look at some of the in-depth numbers, see that, you know, the interior offensive line really, really struggled. The center, um, Brandon Linder is about as near an all pro for a center as you can get. But the two guard positions, left and right guard were manned by Patrick Omame and AJ can neither of them did a great job. And that's, really to say the least um they ran into the interior i think the fourth most in the nfl and yet when it came to adjusted line yards which is a football outsider statistic um really takes a look at how much the offensive line created for running backs they ranked 22nd when running that way so they made it clear that they wanted to upgrade the interior to try and help boost this running game they signed all pro left guard from carolina andrew norwell they drafted nc state offensive tackle will richardson who i believe will compete at the right guard position before when jeremy parnell finally decides to hang up the cleats will move to right tackle But as for right now, it looks like he will be competing at the right guard spot. So I do think they really want to replicate what they had last year from what Leonard Fournette was able to do, despite having some struggles along the offensive line build upon that and maintain their identity as a true running, a power running team. And I think they believe that will really take a lot of stress off of Blake Bortles. So looking back at the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, a a key mistake that we see NFL teams make year in and year out is they have strengths in a lot of areas. Sometimes teams will completely scrap that to try to rebuild and try to make something bigger out of clay. And I, I think you can't do that. And I think that's what the Jacksonville Jaguars have done a great job over the last couple of years, rather than looking at Blake Bortles and, and that indictment where you know Doug Marone wanted to run the ball primer like you said that's not an indication of Blake Bortles that's because that fits the strength to what they have and, and st- historically speaking you look at the greatest running teams in national football we can go back to when John Elway and Terrell Davis were you know in the Super Bowl back in 1997 and 1998 Terrell Davis was a that was a running offense for the Denver Broncos primarily heavy running and what happens when you can run the ball effectively I don't know if a lot of people understand this I get this because I coach football and I love it and I get that same passion from you. When you can control the clock with the run game and then you can punch it in and the Jacksonville Jaguars did that in many occasions last year, you're going to be hard to beat because you don't leave a lot of time out there for the opposing offense to come out and try to to, to essentially try to come back, especially against the defense that the Jaguars have, the tough secondary with Jalen Ramsey and you know and Tashawn Gibson. I think there are a lot of key pieces that make the Jacksonville Jaguars very hard to 
be. And now, obviously, upgrading on that offensive line is going to be huge. Now, when I watched Leonard Fournette last year, I tell you what, that guy, he's always impressive. He impressed me back when he was playing at Florida State. I, I think a lot of people don't really take into consideration exactly how powerful Leonard Fournette is as a runner. And I was watching him in the AFC Championship game against the Patriots. There were many times he would bolster and run people over, and he embraces contact. Many people said, well, you know, the thing I like about Leonard Fournette is that he's a hard runner, but I don't like that he embraces contact so much. Well, when you have a body and you're built like a brick wall the way Leonard Fournette is, you can lower your shoulder quite a bit. And, and it doesn't seem like the Jacksonville Jaguars have a lot of problems with that because I tell you what – when you control the clock, when you control that and you have a powerful running game and you can convert those third and ones, third and twos, which a lot of NFL teams, they struggle to do that in the run game often at times. You have a very good formula to be very successful for low, you know, over the next couple of years. So I like the moves that the Jaguars have made this offseason. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about is go back to the, you know, the AFC playoffs. We saw obviously the Jaguars versus the Bills and Blake Bortles didn't necessarily have the greatest game, but we saw Blake Bortles really evolve into if he was struggling in the passing game, his his mobility and his you know his his ground game with his legs that was unbelievable. I haven't seen that in a while from an NFL quarterback by the name of Blake Bortles, and he kept he kept a lot of plays alive, a lot of drives, a lot of series alive by running, and he had the same type of success against the New England Patriots, and even connecting, he had a better throwing game. I thought the AFC Championship game was Blake Bortles' best game of the year, and they still fell short, which you can't really hang your head on too much. But there's a lot of promise there, and, I, and I'm glad that the Jaguars didn't make the mistake of canning the quarterback to try to get, let, let's say, Kirk Cousins, who we don't know what that's going to play out like. He wanted too much money. The Broncos ran into the same situation with him. But Blake Bortles, AFC Championship game performance. You know, what is your general consensus? Because I see it all the time on Twitter. A lot of fans are up and down on Blake Bortles. Rightfully so, there's some inconsistencies there, but primarily he's still a young guy. He still has the opportunity to learn, and I, I think he's shown more promise than a lot of young guys that we have currently in the NFL. Yeah, I I try and look at it in a vacuum, and I do see the inconsistencies from Blake, and I do think you know, you've had a lot of opportunities to replace him that you really could have taken advantage of and probably been better off with. But it's the thing that you mentioned earlier, and it's that being consistent and sticking to your gun, finding what you're good at and continuing to do it. And they do think that keeping him as the starter, especially on a cheaper deal compared to a lot of quarterbacks around the league, I think that they really value that because they're able to pay these guys to come in and sharpen their iron like the Andrew Norwells of the world coming in to help with this run game even more being able to maybe not pay Aaron Colvin, but go and find a bit of a cheaper replacement to him in DJ Hayden to come in and play the nickel position, but be able to pay some other guys to come in and fill roles to continue to build upon what they've already done. And that might be the best way to keep winning is just to be consistent at what you're good at. I would have, if in a perfect world, if I were Tom Coughlin, I would have looked to see if there was any way you can move up to try and get a guy like Josh Rosen when he started to fall or maybe do look into Kirk Cousins but not try and pay him you know all the money that he wanted but look for somewhat of an upgrade if you're able to do it and I don't think that they were able to do it and I think they realized that early on and that's why they were okay with keeping Blake and it's clear that with a with a running game and a defense like he had last year you know the turnovers were limited. He was making some smarter throws. There were there were still bad ones. There were accuracy issues, but he was also free to play with his legs a little bit more. And I think that's just 
based on the idea that they love running the ball. Um, but it really did start to shadow some of his inconsistencies. And if they can continue to build upon that, then they've got the winning formula. It's clear because they were able to turn this team from 3-13 and 13 to an AFC championship game in one year. Absolutely. And that's very impressive. You don't see that far too often with a lot of NFL franchises. I think they had one of the best storylines in 2017. And, and in 2018, combining all the things we talked about, the additions in the offseason, the NFL draft, and obviously some additions to that defense, what are your hopes for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Or what do you ex- at least expect to see more consistently with the team in 2018? I don't really expect a huge boost in the number of wins that they have. They do have a lot tougher of a schedule. Houston is going to be a lot harder competition than I think a lot of Jags fans give them credit for. And that's because when Deshaun Watson is on that field, it's a totally different team. And I think they saw that last year. Tennessee, I'm up and down on. I really don't know how they'll do. But the bottom line is that the the division will be a lot tougher than it seemed last year. The schedule is a lot harder this year. You've got the New England Patriots, the Pittsburgh Steelers again in the regular season, uh, some other teams that will be coming into town and that they'll be traveling to face. It's going to be tougher than what they had. However, at the same time, we see how good this defense was. We see what they've built upon and that it's definitely not a team that I'm willing to say is overrated whatsoever. I do think they can hold up to the competition they'll be facing. It's just hard for me to say, hey, I expect this defense to replicate what they did last year because that was borderline historic in some aspects as to how good their passing defense was. However, I think if they can continue to sharpen their iron like they seem to have approached this offseason with, they will be able to at least replicate what their record was, remain competitive. Um, obviously, everything in the AFC goes through New England. But, I mean, if this is if there are any teams out there that I think can really pose a threat to New England, I would consider Jacksonville to be one of them still. Absolutely. you know, And the hope is for Jacksonville to get back to the AFC Championship. And, and I think the AFC last year, I think when you look back at the just the overall realm of teams compared to the NFC, the AFC had, a, had one of those off years where there were only a few, I'd probably say maybe three to four solidified competitive teams in the AFC compared to the NFC where the talent was everywhere from seeds one through seeds six in the wild card. You know, we had a, a lot of tough teams. So I think the product of the NFL, the game has evolved to where different conferences are evolving and they're getting better and I, I do see an uprising in the AFC like you said Houston Texans with Deshaun Watson they look very competitive with him and they look very different without him and, and unfortunately for them you know losing him was a big blow to their season Tennessee I think can still be on the rise a little bit with Marcus Mariota new coaching staff and and some key additions around him as well and then obviously you have the the question mark with Andrew Luck possibly returning to the Colts this year you, you know who knows what that's going to look like for them his long-term health their key is to you know keep him healthy, protect him, but things are going to be different in that division, especially with two new coaches in the building. And I think you know the AFC, you know you have the you know the AFC West, you have the Kansas City Chiefs right now, who right now are the biggest question mark right now in the AFC West because of the loss of Alex Smith. Now a lot of people have a lot of high expectations on Patrick Mahomes, a guy who's going to be a sophomore in the NFL essentially coming in and taking over. A very you know there's going to be a lot of expectations there. The Raiders with John Gruden, who knows what 
that's going to be like. You know, he, he got signed for a 10-year, $100 million contract. And essentially, it seems like John, uh, John Gruden has taken over the entire franchise. The moves he's made, they, right now to a lot of people, they're like, okay, well, he's signing a lot of older guys, maybe guys who aren't as good as they used to be. But that could be a very, uh, you know, schematic approach for John Gruden. And then you have the Los Angeles Chargers, who on paper, they're very underrated. I don't think they get enough credit for what they do. They had a tremendous turnaround midway through the season last year to even try to compete for a wild card spot. And they just couldn't pull it out at the end. There were a lot of contingent factors upon that. And then the Denver Broncos, you know, they're a question mark right now, but the additions that you've had in the offseason of Case Keenum, the offensive line, bolstering that, moving Ron Leary back to left guard. I think you have a little bit of hope there for what the Denver Broncos can do. And obviously, you know, we can see these two teams compete maybe in the playoffs, but as of right now, you know, I think my biggest thing is people project too many things early on. I like to see games be played and go from there. But essentially, you know, from your from an outsider's perspective, and I think my listeners of Lockdown Broncos will love to hear this, what are your thoughts on the Denver Broncos and what questions do you primarily have? Well, first, I've been wondering for a little bit as to how the whole Kirk Cousins, Case Keenum situation went down. I mean, we heard about it for months. We knew that Kirk Cousins seemed to be a target of John Elway's in the teams. But as soon as it seemed as they found out what his price tag really was going to be is that they went in on Case Keenum. And as soon as he was signed, it seemed like Case really is the guy. He had the backing from the entire organization. Keenum seemed really happy to be there. So at first, I just was really curious as to how that entire situation went down. So what happened was the Denver Broncos had planned to make a very strong run at Kirk Cousins this offseason. However, after speaking with his reps, I think they had maybe one or two conversations, and they realized that the price tag that Kirk Cousins wanted, he wasn't going to budge. It was too much. They didn't want to pay $86 million guaranteed for whatever he wanted. And so they looked at Case Keenum. They looked at the year that Case Keenum had. And this was, they projected that if Kirk Cousins was a no-go, they'd pursue Case Keenum very heavily. And I think they, they made huh, the Minnesota Vikings head coach mad because we had a local Denver reporter, Mike Kliss. He he was out there and he was talking to them at the NFL Award Show and said, hey, you know, the Broncos are going to plan to pursue Case Keenum. And, and I guess, uh you know, their coach got very, very mad at that question <laughs> there. But, you know, I think with Case Keenum, the year he had, he had an MVP type season. He had career highs. He was under a very good system down there in Minnesota, and he had a very good supporting cast. And a lot of people say, well, he had a defense to carry him. Well, the numbers he put up were phenomenal, and the offensive line for the Vikings wasn't that great. And also you have to take into consideration they lost one of their primary weapons on offense in Dalvin Cook, and they had to go to, obviously, Latavius Murray as a guy. And, you know, I think... With Case Keenum, he brings a, he brings leadership skills that the Denver Broncos haven't had at quarterback. Now, Kirk Cousins was the big name splash type free agent, and a lot of Broncos fans were upset when they didn't per, when they didn't sign Kirk Cousins and then they signed Case Keenum. And you know, we have to get away from this model of looking at big name guys as somebody who's going to make our organization better from the beginning. You want guys that are bought in, and and we've seen with John Elway, his negotiation process. He's not going to bend in negotiations. If he's if he wants if he's going to pay you a contract amount for a certain amount of years, it's based off of your previous production, not what could be. At that point, what could be is based on how you play, and, and that leaves you open to some contract extension. But for the Broncos, the signing of K 
Case Keenum is a cost-effective deal. You have a three-year deal. You have about $36 million. And after two years, if it doesn't work out, the Broncos have an easy out option with them. But at this point, you know, out of OTAs, Broncos defensive players have said that it's completely different. And even the offensive players have said it's completely different under full-time offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave and Case Keenum's leadership. He says you got you got Case Keenum telling guys to get in the huddle, to get in this spot, and, and he's commanding. And the Broncos haven't had that at a quarterback since Peyton Manning. So that right there is exciting to me. He has a lot of options to work with Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, the additions of Cortland Sutton out of SMU, Deshaun Hamilton out of Penn State, Troy Fumagalli and Jake Budd at tight end. You have a lot of different pieces there and obviously the running back question right now for the Broncos is one of the biggest components right now you have D'Angelo Henderson Devontae Booker Royce Freeman undrafted free agent Philip Lindsay who's probably not going to compete as a running back but more so as a return guy for the Denver Broncos a local guy out of Colorado uh, the University of CU he's going to be a guy that's going to be primed to make there you know but you have these question marks with the departure of C.J. Anderson, and I think primarily tailback. Heading into this year's season, the storyline for the Broncos is who's going to be the starting tailback. The offensive line is much more improved with the addition of Jared Valdir at right tackle, big guy out of Arizona. He's a guy that's been battling some health injuries. They're going to ease him back in there. And at right guard, you have Connor McGovern, who who solidified himself as a guy who can play that role for the Broncos. After Ron Littery got hurt, he, he shined in the Indianapolis game, and for the rest of the regular season, he took over that right guard spot center you have Matt Paradise who's completely healthy for the first time this year Uh, last year he was hindered all year by hip surgery because he had off-season hip surgery and so he was kind of limited going into training camp preseason and now he's fully healthy he says he can squat again and that's a good news for the Broncos Ron Leary at left guard where he played like an all pro down there when he was with the Cowboys he's going to help out sophomore tackle Garrett Bowles on the outside especially in the AFC West where you have all these pass rushers having that kind of help having that kind of experience and having that leadership that can Case Keenum brings. I think the Broncos will be a lot more better, uh, consistently well-rounded on the offensive side of the ball than they have been in the last two years. And that's just my early projection. But, you know, obviously we still have to see how things go. But I'll be at training camp for the Denver Broncos this year and very excited to see what reads we have. But finally, you know, Zach, the thing I'm very excited about with the Broncos this year there's no controversy at quarterback. You don't have this storyline heading into training camp out. Who's going to be the Broncos quarterback? The only quarterback dilemma you have right now heading into training camp is who's going to be the backup quarterback. And that's going to be between Chad Kelly and Paxton Lynch. John Elway said after they got out of the NFL draft, these two guys are going to compete for the backup quarterback spot. And if Chad Kelly wins, this could be the last time we see Paxton Lynch in a Denver Broncos uniform, which opens him up to being traded to some other teams. I know he got his first career, not necessarily his, his second career, career start he received that against your Jacksonville Jaguars back in 2016 and I think the Broncos barely irked that one out I think I believe it was 20 to 14 or something along those lines I can't Mm -hmm. remember the final score but you know uh, you know Paxton Lynch is a guy for the Denver Broncos they look at and they don't necessarily a lot of fans have a lot of question marks you know a lot even myself I'm very unsure of what Paxton Lynch's future can be he had two years in a row where he couldn't beat out seventh round draft pick Trevor Simeon and look at we've seen Trevor Trevor Simeon. He has his ups, he has his downs, but more importantly, he's more inconsistent than anything, and he's no longer on the organizational front of things. So this is Paxton Lynch's last chance to really impress the Denver Broncos front office if he wants to compete for the Denver Broncos in the future. Now, 
You mentioned pass rushers a little bit ago when you were talking about what's built around Case Keenum. That'll move me to their uh, the Broncos draft. Run over how they seem to really approach this draft. Was it truly a, you know get better at every pick with the best player available? Um, if you have any insight as to what their board might have looked like and how some of these guys will you know factor themselves onto the roster. Like Bradley Chubb obviously will be taking on a big role opposite of Von Miller. What does that necessarily mean for Shane Ray? Uh, how Cortland Sutton will work his way into the receiver core. Uh, you mentioned about the running back and how that position will play out. You selected Royce Freeman at 71 overall. How some of these guys will you know, find their way onto the field for this team. Absolutely. So for the Denver Broncos, primarily the big guys on their draft board was Baker Mayfield. They were very impressed with Baker Mayfield when working with him at the Senior Bowl. He was the guy that they really wanted to fall to number five. However, it didn't, you know, nobody knew that the Cleveland Browns had significant interest in Baker Mayfield until the day before the NFL draft, and they went with him at pick number one. So the Denver Broncos at that time were debating on trading back to, to with the Buffalo Bills to get the 12th pick and the 22nd pick in the first round. However, at, you know the, the key contingency was watching what Cleveland was going to do with the fourth pick. And they, when they picked Denzel Ward, they were like, okay, Bradley Chubb is available. And John Elway said, there is no way we could pass up getting Bradley Chubb on this Denver Broncos defense. So from that point, I think the evolution of the NFL draft for the Broncos this year really changed based on the choices that the Cleveland Browns had made. And, and obviously New York taking a Saquon Barkley with pick number two. The Denver Broncos really at that point, I think the only guy they really had on their board that they really wanted to take at that point was Bradley Chubb. And so luckily he fell into their lap and that was a huge signing. Now, how does that factor into the 2018 season? Well, he was a defensive end at NC State, but he's going to be playing outside linebacker for the Denver Broncos in Joe Woods' 3-4 scheme opposite of Von Miller. Now, if we've seen Bradley Chubb's game tape from when he was at NC State, he's a powerful pass rusher. He's very athletic, and he can bend the edge. And, you know, more notably, he did it against guys like Lamar Jackson, who was a former Heisman player at the University of Louisville. And one thing is, is you ask the question, how does Shane Ray, Shaquille Barrett factor into this whole situation? Well, the Broncos decided this year in the offseason not to pick up the fifth year option for Shane Ray. Now this is going to be a year where Shane Ray is really going to try to prove his worth and necessarily last year it wasn't necessarily Shane Ray's fault. He suffered a wrist injury in training camp and and he said something felt wrong. Every time he went to go push he'd he'd just feel a tremendous sharp and stabbing pain. So he went in and he realized he had to get surgery on his wrist. That held him out until about week 8 when the Denver Broncos played the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday Night Football. He made his return at Kansas City and for him all year from that point forward, it really wasn't that effective because he was essentially playing with one hand. He didn't have a lot of strength, a lot of confidence in his offhand. So he used a lot of one hand. He tried to tackle a lot with one hand. And primarily, he found himself out of position. Now, the thing with Shane Ray, he also lost a lot of weight at that time because of not being able to be active, not being able to do the things he's used to be doing or maintain his lifting style. You know, obviously after you you know have wrist surgery, you can't bench press, you can't do a lot of lifting stuff that you normally do. So he lost a lot of weight. He's back up to about 250, 248 around right now. And, and that's going to be huge for him. But primarily, uh, I would be shocked if the Denver Broncos bring Shane Ray back next season if Bradley Chubb has a phenomenal year based on just what's on paper for the Denver Broncos. 
Broncos. They're going to look to sign Shaquille Barrett more so than Shane Ray to a deal because he's been a more consistent, healthier option. He's better in the run support and keeping outside contain on the edge. He can play D end while Bradley Chubb plays outside backer. Or you can mix and match those guys as well this year. So don't be surprised when we, we see an NFL game and we see the Broncos rotating Bradley Chubb from outside linebacker to defensive end when you have the combination of Shane Ray and Shaquille Barrett. Now, to answer your point on Cortland Sutton, big play target out of you know SMU. The D- Dallas Cowboys had him high on their board, and they wanted to take him, but the Denver Broncos swooped in and got Cortland Sutton. He's a big guy, and they're projecting that the Denver Broncos drafted Deshaun Hamilton and Cortland Sutton to be the eventual replacements for Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, who were getting up there in age, who've been in the National Football League for quite some time, and just the addition of these guys right now is very, very exciting. You have Demarius Thomas on the outside as long as Emmanuel Sanders prior to be moving on the inside and they're projecting that Cortland Sutton's going to be an outside player and Deshaun Hamilton's going to be a slot type player for the Denver Broncos a candidate in the kick return game as well these guys all play an immediate role for the Denver Broncos in 2018 based on need and the Denver Broncos for the last two years have struggled without a number three wide receiving threat you haven't had that since Wes Welker and you haven't had really the option to have a guy to, to really take the pressure off of the quarterback and Demaryius Thomas and Manu Sanders because teams will bracket coverage them. They'll put a safety over the top. They'll play cover two man underneath, or they'll play cover two underneath. And the thing that you run into with this situation is the Denver Broncos in 2016 and 2017 didn't have another target for a quarterback to get the ball to. They had Virgil Green, who was an inconsistent threat. He was more of a run-blocking tight end than a pass catcher. And the Denver Broncos have missed that since Owen Daniels back in 2015. They have tight end options now with Jake Butt, and obviously with Troy Fumagalli and Jeff Hyre a guy who's been, you know, in and out, you know, due to knee injuries and things like that. But the Denver Broncos have a lot of promise this year on the offensive side of the ball. And all these guys are going to be prime candidates to play. But a wild card factor, I'm telling you, is Isaac Yadam out of Boston College. He's going to play for the Broncos defense in 2018. They they significantly have that need at cornerback. I could see him playing on the outside. Bradley Roby moving to cover the inside receiver. And you're going to have Chris Harris Jr. bumping to the outside this year where he can get more respect and more acknowledgement from the NFL All-Pro voters at the end of the year. That's one mission for him. Covering the slot, apparently, you don't get a lot of recognition, which is crazy because that's one of the hardest places to cover. You have Aaron Coleman for the Jaguars who did that as well. And he didn't get talked about as much as you know, Jalen Ramsey did. So they have a lot of things that they want to do on the defensive side of the ball this year. But we know more importantly, all these offseason moves have the Denver Broncos competing from now and years to come. So that's the emphasis from John Elway in the front office. Now, moving on from the draft, you said it yourself. You're going to be at training camp, which I can tell you from some of the Jaguars training camps I've been to. That's going to be a lot of fun. What are some of the camp? Uh, battles you're really looking forward to and some of the storylines heading in there and moving on from there how do you see this team playing out in 2018 Oh, so some camp battles that I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, especially is the backup quarterback position for the Denver Broncos, Chad Kelly. And obviously when you have Chad Kelly and Paxton Lynch competing, that's going to be big because a lot of Broncos fans, I ran a poll not too long ago. I said, if Case Keenum were to get injured, would you be comfortable with Paxton Lynch stepping in and taking over the reins of quarterback? And, and I probably said 73% said no on that poll. So Chad Kelly, we don't know what he's got to bring for the NFL yet. Obviously we look back at Old Miss and he was, he was a phenomenal phenomenal quarterback big arm big play type potential obviously 
you know, his off his off the field issues had hindered a lot of his productivity and where he, you know, landed in the NFL draft, but that's where he went as Mr. Irrelevant. That's going to be a camp battle we watch, but the one I'm more excited about is from the running back position, D'Angelo Henderson and Devontae Booker and Royce Freeman. Now, Devontae Booker is going to be the shoe-in guy. He's going to get the first opportunity to get first-team reps, and the reason for that is because he was the guy who had the carryover from last year. He was the guy that backed up C.J. Anderson and got some run. He's a the guy they drafted not you know a few years ago, early on in the early rounds, and he's a guy that's been you know hit or miss. And when he's good, he's good. But when he's inconsistent, he's you know those are the moments where the Denver Broncos are like, okay, we need another option. Now, D'Angelo Henderson is a guy who's going to be a Shane Vereen type player for the Denver Broncos. He's going to get in the mix a little bit because he single-handedly carried the Denver Broncos to four preseason victories last year. You know, him and Kyle Sloter, who's now a very coveted guy with the Minnesota Vikings. Now, D'Angelo Henderson's a speedier guy, bulkier guy. He's, he, he reminds me a lot of Shane Vereen. He's going to play that type of role. And then Royce Freeman is your bell cow. He reminds me a lot, not necessarily size-wise of Leonard Fournette, but he kind of runs the same. He runs with power. He runs with authority. And he can also make people miss, but he embraces contact and he's had over 947 carries when he was playing four years at the University of Oregon I got to watch him for four years live and in person and and for me Royce Freeman I'm very excited the Broncos picked him up because he's a guy that's going to be very reliable he's going to hold on to the ball and he's going to get those extra yards that you need so Vance Joseph then really said that the starting you know the starting spot is up for grabs for the Denver Broncos at running back but all three of those guys are going to play in 2018 he said in order to have a successful run game you need to have two or three guys and and we've seen that in the NFL you know with the Atlanta Falcons they've had a lot of success with that so the Denver Broncos are embracing that but I would expect Royce Freeman to be the steal I think he's going to come in and turn some heads in training camp and I think he's going to be the guy who ends up being the starting running back day one when you play the Seattle Seahawks and for the other camp battle positions you know necessarily I think we're really looking at the third cornerback spot for the Denver Broncos you have Bradley Roby and Chris Harris Jr. as your primary lock you know corners but there's a lot of question you brought in Tremaine Brock from the offseason and and you have the addition of Isaac Yadam. These two guys are going to compete here for the number three cornerback spot on the Denver Broncos defense alongside Sua Cravens, who's going to be competing for some safety time with Justin Simmons, Darian Stewart. But Joe Woods is at, you know, has a lot of key guys. You have Will Parks as well in the secondary at the safety position. They're going to get very creative in this 3-4 scheme. They're going to run a lot of dime and nickel packages just to get some of their best guys out on passing situations and obviously on heavy run situations. They're going to be more bulky and they're going to have guys in that are going to stop the run. So, you know, a lot of great battles here in training camp. But I I think leading into the 2018 regular season, if they can stay relatively healthy through training camp, through OTAs, and they can get through the preseason without any injuries, I think this thing will really mesh together. And I think week one when we see the Broncos play the Seattle Seahawks, I think we're going to see a very different team. I think defensively, we're going to see a same strong, you know, strong emphasis on the Broncos being a heavy defensive team. But I also think we're going to see a lot more of an improved offense. And and if you can do that and you can manage the game and have a better offensive production than you had in 2017 and 2016, the Denver Broncos can get back to the playoffs this year. But it's going to take a team effort from the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball, and special teams. Where in special teams terms, they really struggled last year. So those are the key elements you have to have leading up into the 2018 regular season then i think that'll uh just about do it on my side questions for, um obviously looking forward to the broncos being able to rebuild upon what they had a couple years ago like i said i'm personally a case keenum fan so i'm excited to see him in the orange and navy 
and um, see how he does as well as hopefully that defense gets back to what it used to be.